The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Getting you ready for the day in sports betting. This is Point Spread Sunday on VSEN, the sports betting network. Welcome in to Point Spread Sunday here on VSEN, the sports betting network with so much to get to today. NBA playoffs in full swing. Speaking of swing, Major League Baseball, lots of doubleheaders on the schedule today, of course. We will recap the Kentucky Derby and a whole lot more here on Point Spread Sunday. I'm Mark Zinno. Thank you so much for starting your Sunday morning with me. Adam Trigger of Wager Talk will join us once again. We'll go over Major League Baseball as well as Josh Ingles and continue to find the ways to get some value and best bets in Major League Baseball. He'll join us as well. So we got so much to do. And I want to start with the Kentucky Derby from yesterday. I don't know how many of you out there or horse racing enthusiasts, or horse racing fans. Uh, I happen to be one and have been for many, many years. I grew up in Long Island, New York, about oh, about a mile and a half away from Belmont Park. So horse racing has been around and in my life for the entirety of it. Now, that said, what I saw yesterday is something I probably haven't seen in my entire racing life, and, and that's an 80-to-1 long shot to win a race of this caliber uh, in the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike pulls off a massive upset, and a lot of people go home ripping up tickets uh, because nobody had Rich Strike in them. That said, the payouts were something that was never to be believed. Uh, when you look at the way uh, everything finished, a $2 exacta paid you over $4,100. A $1 trifecta paid you just shy of $15,000. And if you bet superfectas, a $1 superfecta bet got you $231,500. So these were massive payouts across the board. And let's just talk real briefly about the ride that Epicenter had and Joel Rosario. You know, a lot of people I've seen, and there was some reaction online from it yesterday, and it's what my initial instinct was when I saw the the replay of the race. You know, Epicenter has uh, a lead in the top of the stretch and takes about a two-horse, a two-length lead uh, over Zandon. And at that point, you could tell Joel Rosario only saw Zandon as his competition. And Zandon was through the back of him and to the right. And if you watch the replay, you can see Rosario, the jockey on Epicenter, continuing to look back into the right and back into the right to see where Zandon was and how much room he had and if he needed more horse to get to the finish line. He never once looked left and never once saw a rich strike coming up. Now, when you get the overhead view of this race, watching where rich strike came from uh, at the top of the stretch was just pure insanity. The horse was in 11th or 12th place uh, when they get to the top of the stretch. And a couple of key things happened here. And this typically happens when you get to the top of the stretch and you come out of that final turn. A lot of jockeys will take the horse wide and use the more of the track. What that does is not only does it allow the horse more room to go and get some free of any other horses in traffic, but it also pushes people who want to go around him on the outside coming out of that turn even farther wide, giving them more distance to make up. The bad thing is, is that you leave open the rail if a horse is on the inside and can sneak in. That's exactly what Rich Strike did. But if you look at the overhead view, it's sort of parted like the Red Sea for him. 
Uh, and he took, I had a huge burst and then got stuck behind one other horse on the rail. And this was so impressive by the jockey because he was able to maneuver rich strike around and not lose any speed. Uh, and he got a second burst to push all the way through. And I guarantee you, Joe Rosario never saw rich strike at all. Come on at the end there. I haven't seen a burst like that from a horse in a really long time. And really, when you look at it, it was two bursts. I question one thing about the race, and that's really if Rosario had known Rich Strike was coming up on the left, would he have asked Epicenter for more? Did the horse have more? And I wonder how it would have done. And I wonder if Rosario would have stayed as wide as he did um, to, to win the race if he had known a horse was going to be able to come up on the inside. I just don't think he was aware. Because, again, jockeys are generally told, look out for this horse, look out for that horse. This horse will have speed at the end. Be, you know, be know where that horse is. And jockeys are looking around. It's their job to look around and see everything that's going on around him. And Rosario did not look around. I don't think he was really ever cognizant that anybody was going to come up on the inside. And how could you be? This was just such a long shot. Uh, Rich Strike was not supposed to be there by any measure, was not supposed to be or have that much burst at the end of this thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, some racing people I've said that Epicenter ran too good of a race to lose, as did Zandon, right? They both ran pretty flawless races, all things considered. And uh, and Epicenter turned it on right at the right time. It was in about third or fourth uh, once they started to come out of that final turn into the stretch. And it was a nice burst by Epicenter to take a two-length lead. And I think really... Rosario had epicenter and cruise control the rest of the way. Zandon didn't have enough to pass him and he knew it. So he didn't have to push the horse any harder and, uh, and never saw rich strike. And lo and behold, you get one of the greatest upsets, uh, in racing history. And what do you have? Well, you know, a, a trifecta that pays $15,000 on a $1 bet. So, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't see online if anybody had any tickets like that. It's just an amazing day. And I said this yesterday too, and I don't care what the payout is, uh, on lotto on your state lotto, whatever it may be. I would rather hit that Superfecta for 321K any day of the week than win lotto. That's pure luck. If you have the foresight and the ability to figure out that Superfecta to get $321,000, I'd much rather hit that than hit lotto any day of the week. I don't care how big the lotto jackpot is. It could be $50 million. I'd still rather hit the uh, that 321,000 Superfecta. Like that is something that you take to your grave with you uh, and you are pretty much the luckiest person on earth because uh, you don't see the payouts like that happen often. $50 million lotto payouts happen once a month for crying out loud. 321,000 superfectors almost never happen. It is a once in a lifetime event. It probably won't ever happen again in my lifetime. And congratulations to, you know, Rich Strike and, and their owners who, and if you didn't know this, Rich Strike got entered into the Kentucky Derby about 31 hours before it got kicked off. It, it hit the Friday deadline by under a minute. Uh, and it was one of those horses that was a replacement for a horse that was scratched. And uh, lo and behold, not even supposed to be in the field. And and initially went off as a 30 to one long shot. By post time, it was 80 to one and one of the greatest upsets in horse racing history. So that was the Kentucky Derby in a nutshell. Go back and watch. I implore you to go back and watch the overhead shot of the race uh, as you get out of that final turn and check out where Rich Strike was and where Epicenter was and just watch it several times and see a couple of the decisions that were made by Joel Rosario on Epicenter. And judge for yourself. I'm not saying I would say this much. I don't think Epicenter lost the race. I think Rosario lost the race more than Epicenter did. But. I just don't know if it's fair to even put it on Rosario's shoulders because this was something that nobody could have foreseen coming. I mean, it's that level of shock and surprise. All right. Um, 
Let's get over to the NBA playoffs here and a recap quickly of yesterday. Boston and Milwaukee as the Bucks pull out a, a two-point win. And depending on where you were and when you got your ticket, if you were a Bucks backer, you were either really happy uh, or relieved. You at least got a push. Or you were really sad if you got two and a half or three like it was earlier in the week. So um, if you were a Celtics backer, you were pretty happy with the outcome. Uh, if you're a Celtics fan, you probably were nauseated by the outcome, but at least if you had a ticket with the Celtics plus two and a half or plus three on it, you had some sort of solace in wiping away your tears. But you get the sense that this series is going to go seven games. It's going to be back and forth. Uh, Milwaukee has been installed as a one-point favorite for game four. Boston money line or pass for me, just as a quick knee-jerk reaction on the game. I, I, Boston is going to find a way to get back in this thing. They're not going to go away. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, both of these teams are shooting terrible from three, uh, and you can't have Jalen Brown, I'm sorry, Jason Tatum, rather, have a 16-point night and, and have a bad shooting night the way he did in game three if you want to get past the Milwaukee Bucks, He's got to have seven great games, um, and and how much the Bucks defense is really going to be able to keep him slowed down is something to watch going out through the rest of this series. Last night in the other game, Memphis and Golden State, uh, I backed Golden State in the over. They both cashed for me. Uh, and this was a spot where, you know, I, I just felt like Memphis was going to get an awakening as to why Golden State has won several titles and why the Chase Center, formerly the Oracle, uh, is such a tough place to play. Uh, and and the Warriors put on a clinic last night shooting standpoint. But the big news coming out of that game is John Morant injuring his knee and what his status is for game four. I'm surprised the line was even up. I saw it at uh, at at. Nine points right now. Uh, I, I don't, if they rule jaw out, I assume that number will go even bigger. But for me right now with Golden State, this is about experience. This is about understanding the playoff rigors. It's about comfortability in tight spots and tight situations. I know that Memphis, you know, was able to overcome those tight spots and tight, tight situations in the series against Milwaukee. But that's also a very young, inexperienced playoff team like Memphis is. This is a completely different animal with Golden State. It's a lot of points to lay, and I probably won't lay nine points. However, I will continue to pound the over until they get this thing in the 230s because uh, I think they're going to get there, especially when Golden State is home on a routine basis. I feel like odds makers have really struggled to get the totals right as so many unders have come in here, and there hasn't really been strong market corrections on some of these numbers. Um, but while I could see an under coming in in, in Memphis when the game when the series and the game is in Memphis – not not at the Chase Center. Uh, unless you're over 230, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be comfortable taking the under. 229 and a half and below because Golden State's going to be able to score at that pace at home. It's just what they do. Um, and it's where they are so, so comfortable. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those deals where, uh, you know, I, I, I will back Golden State. And I think that they are going to be in the Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns. And uh, they, they sort of played it right as far as positioning is concerned. Uh, as far as taking care of uh, not having to see Phoenix early on. Phoenix may give them some problems uh, when they get to them in a head-to-head -head series. So today we got um, Miami and Philadelphia, Phoenix and Dallas, uh, and we'll we'll handicap those games next, plus a look ahead to the other two games in this series. We're going to do all that coming up. Again, Adam Trigger of Wager Talk is going to join us later this hour. So we've got a lot to get to here, both in the NBA and Major League Baseball. And oh, by the way, I get a tweet here from Tops in Props 2. Uh, he says, 1993 Breeders' Cup, a, a Breeders' Cup classic, a French ship in named Arcanguez with Jerry Bam, uh paid 269.20 to win. So uh, this was 180 
um, or 190 rather to win. So it was just impressive at all, to say the least, for Rich Strike. All right, we've got a lot more to do here on Point Spread Sunday on Visa. And again, give me a follow on Twitter as well, at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-O. Looking ahead to, to today's NBA slate coming up next right here on Point Spread Sunday on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. This is Point Spread Sunday on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back into Point Spread Sunday here on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Mark Zinno. Thank you for starting your Sunday morning with me. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M A R K Z I N N O. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll get into Major League Baseball with Adam Trigger of Wager Talk and how to bet. Major League Baseball doubleheaders, a little bit of a different handicap. A lot of things you have to take into account in game two uh, of that series, maybe even game one as well, depending on the team and the manager and and how they go about approaching it. So we'll get into that. Plus, later on in the show, I'll give you my full day of baseball picks as well. We're getting some NFL futures here. Now that the draft is all done, offseason has begun, some of these numbers are going to lock in and sort of sit here and stay stable unless you get a major injury or some, you know, kind of unexpected trade slash signing or whatever it may be. Uh, that's going to change the scope of somebody's team. But we'll look at some of the NFL futures. And I've got one that, uh, that, of value that I really, really like. It jumped off the board at me, uh, and it's where I want to put my money uh, on one particular futures prop. So I'll get to that coming up here uh, before the end of this first hour. So, so much to do here. And again, thank you for spending Sunday morning with me here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. All right, two games on the NBA slate today uh, between – the first one between Phoenix and Dallas and then Miami and Philadelphia. Uh, both of these series, a 2-1 lead uh, for the Phoenix Suns and for the Miami Heat. I want to start with Phoenix and Dallas first, where Phoenix is a one-and-a-half-point favorite and you have a total set at 215. You know, um, Dallas defense finally showed up in game three of this series, uh, and I think that's super critical to uh, to get the confidence that they need to be able to play at that level. Phoenix is pretty much leading in every statistical category offensively with the exception of points in the paint. And it's really close. Dallas has a 42 to 40 advantage uh, in that, in that category. But other than that, Phoenix is dominating offensively in this series. Phoenix actually leads in rebounding too, as well. 49 to 41. It's kind of weird that they would have an inside advantage in points in the paint and still be being out rebounded by eight rebounds a game. That sort of doesn't, doesn't square as well. Dallas has a steals advantage uh, and Phoenix has a huge, and I mean huge three point advantage, three point shooting advantage. They are shooting 45 and a half percent compared to just 38 and a half percent of that of Dallas. And it's part of the reason why uh, Phoenix is able to score at the rate that they are. And, you know, I, I am somebody who, when I look at these games, you know, you try to figure out, you know, when, when a series goes 2 0 and one team wins game three, what from game three will follow through the rest of the series and what was just a blip on the radar and not try to let too much um, recency bias come into the handicap. I look at the Phoenix Suns and see them dominating in every category. And, and I look at the box score from when they lost game three and you, you try, I try to figure out at least, you know, why the game broke down the way it did. And essentially you had Chris Paul 
and DeAndre Ayton not have good games. I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. He only had four, Chris Paul only had four assists and he had seven turnovers in the game. Like that's just not going to happen two games in a row where Chris Paul is going to turn the ball over seven times in a game. So I don't, I, I don't put much stock into that. And even at that, you had bad games uh, from Chris Paul and an average game from DeAndre Ayton, who only scored 16 points. Uh, and I say only, he was six to 12 shooting, which is great, but it was only 16 points. I think the turnovers really were a big problem for Phoenix as they had 17 of them, whereas Dallas only had eight. So if Phoenix takes better care of the ball, um, they will have more shots to put up and and obviously make as many of them as they are because this is a team that's shooting over 50%. I think game three was the first game where they didn't shoot at least 50% from the field. Um, but still, they shot 46% from three in the game, and their shooting percentage from the field was even less. So I, I say all this to bring all this up is that I, I don't think Phoenix scoring 94 points is a result of Dallas's great defense. I think it was more of a result of Phoenix not having their best game and take not taking care of the basketball and not getting as many opportunities uh, as they would. They only had 76 field goal attempts in the game compared to 90 for Dallas. That's not going to happen again. So if Phoenix is in the mid-80s where they should be as far as field goals attempts is concerned, they win that game. Uh, and they cover a very close spread. So that's just my, again, that's why I'm not going to back Dallas here. I'm going to stay with Phoenix, uh, and I'll probably take them on the money line just because I think you get better value of where they are. But I know how great Luka is, and I know Phoenix is really kind of resigned to a certain extent to let Luka get his uh, because he had 26-13-9 in the last game. But, um, you know, to back Phoenix here to me makes a whole lot of sense because I just have too many numbers that are in their favor. Uh, so I'm going to take Phoenix and, and and go with those guys today. The total is a little bit interesting. Uh, this is a correlating bet situation for the for these games. Every game that goes over, the Suns are going to win. Every game that stays under, Dallas is going to win. Uh, Phoenix can win an under game, but Dallas cannot win an over game. They don't have the scoring. Dallas is not going to be able to score 115, 120 points in a game to beat uh, Phoenix when they score 110. Just, they don't have the scoring. Something is going to have to go completely awry or something uncommon is, is going to have to happen for that to go. So if you're backing Phoenix, you're on the over all the way because that means Phoenix is scoring and they're getting above 100 points. It looks like that's the only way Dallas can win is to limit the Suns to around 100 points or less. If they do that, the under will come in and Dallas only needs to get to 105 to walk out of there comfortably, which is exactly what happened in game three. But I don't see that happening again in game four. Um, Phoenix is a much better team, and, and and they're going to continue to prove that in this series. All right, the next game, Miami and Philadelphia. For me, this is a much harder game to handicap. Philadelphia is laying a point and a half and a low total at 207 and a half. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like maybe if you're going to bet Miami, just take them on the money line here. But the big question for me in this series is what's the Joel Embiid factor, and what does it mean? Um, obviously, he's huge to their team. And obviously, he's a big part of what they do. But I'm not sure that the numbers necessarily back that Embiid is going to have that much of an effect. Look, Miami only scored 79 points in game three. Now, Miami's offense isn't great, but there's just a chance that that's not going to happen again. Like, it would take that kind of bad shooting from Miami um, in order to really have that happen. Miami ended the regular season as the number one three-point field goal percentage team in the NBA 
They're only shooting 31% from three in this series. They shot 23%, seven of 30 in game three. That's the reason why they only scored 20, uh, 79 points, rather. I mean, you know, the Embiid factor is is huge. They, they get their offense back, and, and he looked good offensively um, in the game, all things considered, but he did have 18 and 11. Uh, that's not a bad day at all for Joel Embiid. Sure, he's got more in the tank, but still. And then also, you know, if Joel Embiid is back, Miami has a rebounding advantage, 51 to 45. Uh, and, and on the offensive glass, they have an 11 to 7 rebounding advantage. Well, if Embiid is back, that should shift in the favor of the rebounding, or at least level out a little bit where it's a lot closer. Uh, and I don't know that that that's going to be the case. So uh, I'm, I'm questioning again the the Embiid factor, especially when Philadelphia, without Embiid, or at least this point in the series now, has a 42 to 40 advantage in points per game in, inside the paint. So again, they're losing the rebounding battle, but winning the, the game inside, some of that doesn't square. Um, both of these teams are pretty much even when it comes to the turnovers. Uh, Miami averages 13 a game, Philadelphia 14 and a half. So there's not much disparity there, but this is just a really tough handicap for me. I, I could go see it going either way. So I'm not going to have a play on this game. I mean, it would make sense to just take the under. Uh, I don't necessarily know that either team has to get this game to go over to win it. And especially with a, a point and a half, a bucket spread, you know, that's easy for them to be able to cover it uh, with this game going under. So that would probably be a lean on the under, but you know, I, again, I don't get a strong feel one way or another in, in either of these games uh, with a couple of minutes left here, just look ahead to Milwaukee and Boston. Uh, and I said this last night on another network that I was on a show that I did that I thought when the spread came out, it was probably going to be one and a half. Uh, it's down to one now in favor of Milwaukee. So both of these teams are minus 110. I mean, essentially, it's a pick them at this point. Uh, and, and odds makers are going to let them duke it out one way or another to see. Uh, and I don't think this line will move all that much. I'd be surprised if it moves in one direction. Um, while I could see Milwaukee going up to a one and a half point favorite, I don't see Boston coming down to a half point favorite or a half point dog. Rather, they'll just make it a pick them even. Um, but Boston has requited themselves well in this series, and they've shown that they can play with Milwaukee. Uh, and, and, you know, Giannis is, didn't have his first, didn't have his best games in his first two games. He went off in game three uh, and, and certainly helped it. And he didn't have much of a supporting cast for help either. But I think the Bucs really miss Chris Middleton. I think they're starting to see that now and what he brings to their team on the perimeter uh, and his three-point shooting and how it changes things for them offensively because they really haven't had a solid offensive performance. And you can go, hey, Zeno, what, what about the Chicago series? Well, Chicago's bad on defense. Um, you didn't need Chris Middleton to go out and score 115 points against Chicago. Because they're not good. Uh, and, and Milwaukee proved that. So um, I would lean on Boston in this spot. Got to do a little bit more homework on it. But to me, it feels like Boston is the right side to tie this thing up at two games apiece. Memphis and Golden State, very, very tough for me to lay those nine points. Um, and and the, by the way, there's no total up yet. And I think a lot of that is waiting, waiting on whether John Morant comes in. Uh, in this game or not. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Coming up next, uh, Adam Trigger of Wager Talk will join us. We'll look at how you handicap Major League Baseball doubleheaders plus his plays on the Sunday slate. That is up next here on VSIN. I'm Mark Zinno. Thanks for watching Point Spread Sunday on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. This is Point Spread Sunday on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken, beer made better. 21 and over only terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back in to Point Spread Sunday on VEASAN, the the sports betting network. Appreciate you guys spending your Sunday morning with me and joining us now to go over Major League Baseball. My good friend from Wager Talk, it's Adam Trigger joining us here, right here on Point Spread Sunday. Adam, good morning and thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if you were lucky enough to have a ticket on Rich Strike yesterday in the Derby or not, but you're probably a little bit richer if you did. I I didn't, Mark, but you know who did was... uh... CT Betts' mom had him at 80 to one. Uh, no. Only person I know, only person I know that bet him, Valerie Thurston. So shout out to her. Awesome hit 80 to one to win the Derby. Yeah. I saw that our friend, Chris Thurston has been on the show before he had Zandon. So he was running, uh, he was running third in that race. It was close enough, but uh, just unreal to even, I wonder if the owner actually even better on his own horse. Like you have to, if you have your own <laughs> horse, right? It's crazy. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to the uh, Major League Baseball slate today because uh, a lot of games on the schedule, including multiple teams with double headers due to rainouts, and of course we had the uh, the lockout at the beginning of the year that changed the season a little bit, so we're getting double headers with a little more frequency than normal. So give give me just your tips here, real quick, on how you end up handicapping double headers and what are some of the things to look for. Well, yeah, I kind of swore double headers off the last couple of years when we were playing seven inning games, which I was not a fan of, but now that now that we're back to the traditional nine inning game, uh, I'll, I'll look to bet double headers when they pop up. And, and really, I just kind of go in with a strategy of something I want to see and potentially bet in it on, on one or, or the other game. And if I don't get that scenario, I'm okay with, with passing and just moving on. And that's kind of, you know, one of the, so I'll start with the Royals and the Orioles because I've been trying to bet the Orioles for three days now. Keeps getting rained out. Unfortunately, um, I'm not getting, I don't think I'm going to get the matchup here that I would have gotten the last two days, which would have been Jordan Lyles. But really, it would have been a fade of uh, Carlos Hernandez, uh, who was going to start on Friday. And now what what I'm thinking they're probably going to do is is move Daniel Lynch to start game one uh, against Lyles. And then it would be Zimmerman versus Grinky in game two. At least that's that's what I think is going to happen. So uh, just, Mark, we we talked about the Orioles on this show a couple weeks ago as a potential sort of under-the-radar play-on team. And they've been excellent. If you've been betting the Orioles, you, you've definitely made some money this week. If you've been betting them against the plus one and a half, I think they've covered that uh, probably like six and two over the last eight maybe. So they've they've been a really good bet of late. And I, I think there's money to be made on the Orioles in this double header. So the Royals Mark, I think if the reds weren't having a historically bad season, I think we'd be talking about the Royals as like the ultimate fade in baseball right now. Uh, they, they've scored a league worst 70 runs. Their run differential is minus 39. The only team that's worse is the reds. Uh, they're pitching their bullpen ERA is the worst in the majors. Uh, and you've got guys like Salvador Perez and Whit Merrifield who are like, they're just horrible so far this year. And that offense, they, they, that team can't function if those two guys are, are playing as poorly as they are. So 
My strategy here, I'm going to, I'm going to be looking for a spot to jump in with Baltimore today. If it's Lyles versus Lynch in the first game, um, what I might do is just sort of wait and see if I can get a better scenario in game two. The, the Orioles bullpen is as underrated as, as of a unit as there is in the league. 1.5 war coming into the, the uh, coming into play today. Uh, it's the third best mark in the league behind the Yankees and the Brewers, who who I think are consensus, maybe the top two bullpens in baseball. So, it, you know, if there's a scenario where the Royals burn through some of their relievers in game one, uh, and then we can get Zimmerman with the better Orioles relievers available, available in game two, that's a, a no-brainer bet for me right there if it, if it shakes out that way. All right, so when you are you somebody who's going to pass on the first game of a doubleheader, wait and see how it goes, and then try to bet the second game? Because that was something I was looking at with the Yankees and the Texas Rangers, where Jordan Montgomery uh, is getting the start in the second game after Garrett Cole goals in the first. Uh, and my hope would be that the Yankees would dominate in the first and then have Jordan Montgomery on the mound in the second, who's gotten some of the worst run support in Major League Baseball this year. He's pitched fantastic, but he's just not getting any run support from the Yankees, and I feel like it just matches up with second game of the doubleheader. Some guys probably won't be as sharp. You know, they'll rest some of the guys. They won't have a full lineup, and Montgomery's run support should stay pathetically low, enough for Texas to get over the hump, score four runs, and win that thing. Yeah, so what I'll do in a scenario like that, and it's probably what I'll do with the Orioles, if I think I'm going to like the game two matchup better, but there's some, there's some, um, you know, it's contingent on the way things go or the way thing, the way I want things to go in game one, I'll, I'll play a little smaller in game one, just so I don't miss out, if you will, if I know I want to back a certain team against another team. And, and I'll just do that with the understanding that if I get the, situation and everything lines up the way I wanted to in game two, I'll, I'll come over the top a little bit bigger. So either my game one bet's going to win and I'm going to, and I'm going to just say, okay, I'll take my money and, and move on. Or that game one bet's going to lose, but it creates a better situation in, in game two where I can come over the top, play a little bit bigger and still get out with a profit. As long as my team doesn't get swept in the doubleheader. All right. Mets and Phillies playing two today as well. Max Scherzer, on the bump in game two, handicap this one or these two, I should say. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is less. So this scenario is more just me wanting to play against Max Scherzer on the run line. Um, I'm assuming he's going to go in game one, but they haven't, they haven't um, decided that yet. With that being said, I'd be willing to oppose him with either Kyle Gibson uh, or Zach Elfin, because I think you're going to get Phillies plus one and a half at a very, very fair uh, playable price, regardless of which game it is. Uh, Phillies, of course, as we all know at this point, uh, huge collapse on Friday, uh, you know, seven, seven run ninth inning. Uh, and and that's a, that's a tough blow for a team that, that really kind of needed that win. Uh, but they've been, they've had to sit around and think about that for two days. I can only think that that sort of lights a fire, maybe motivates them. I saw Bryce Harper kind of address the team after that loss. Uh, the days off, in my opinion, helped Philly. Uh, Castellanos left the game on Thursday. He could be back here. Harper's been dealing with a, a, a nagging injury. Uh, we maybe will see him DH here. Uh, so obviously we'll have to check the lineups for that. Uh, but the reason I want to oppose Max Scherzer, Mark, he has 24 consecutive starts without a loss. It's the sixth longest streak in Major League Baseball history. Um, I, I think that's starting to get a, a little bit of a, a run 
a narrative, if you will, uh, which means you're going to have to really pay a premium uh, to back Max Scherzer at this point. And what better spot to go against him than with a team that A, knows him extremely well, and B, just saw him a week ago and hit him harder than any team did uh, you know, this season, right? The Phillies, uh, they lost to Scherzer on Sunday Night Baseball last week, but that was not because of their offense. They hit three homers. Uh, they scored plenty of runs to win that game. It's just the pitching just kind of fell apart. So, uh, you know, quick turnaround. Six days later, I think the Phillies can get to him again. I, you know, he, if he's in game, if he's in game one, he's going to have this this weird early twelve thirty start. Um, so I think this is a good spot to play against him, especially when you're going to get a run and a half at what should be a very cheap price uh, to get the run and a half. So if he ends up going in game two, I'll have to wait. But either it, either or, you know, Kyle Gibson, he's had some issues with walks, but his numbers are, are decent. Uh, 2.93 ERA, 1.08 whip. Uh, and and Eflin's a, a guy that I've always really, really liked. I, I think he's he should be better than he is. So I'm willing to take a shot with either of them. I'll take the plus one and a half and I'll go against Scherzer. I think the Phillies are going to be motivated today. And I think they, they will be up to, to go against Scherzer after, you know, coming close against him last week. Uh, real quick, got about under a minute left, but uh, the game that I'm looking in a pitcher I'm looking to fade is Dallas Keuchel, the White Sox, who's been awful this year. He goes up against Michael Walker, who's been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball for the Red Sox this year. I mean, one of my plays today, I'll lay the one and a half on the run line, just countering with that Walker's going to be better than Keuchel, who's also had walk problems and control problems, uh, and he's got a 63 ERA on the road this year. So uh, safe, to, safe to back the Boston Red Sox today? Yeah, I you know, we texted uh, before the show. That was kind of the way I was looking. Was hoping to get a better price than minus 150. Uh, Boston, they just called up Jaron Duran, player I really like. Maybe could could kind of provide a spark to this Red Sox team that's been struggling. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, hard fade for me. He has been for, you know, since the, the short in 2020 season when he kind of, you know, put up numbers that I don't think really represents where he's at as, at a, pitch, as a pitcher right now. Uh, so, yeah, I'd absolutely jump in with the Red Sox. I think you'll get Michael Walker regression at some point, uh, but I, I'm happy to go against Michael. So, yeah, Red Sox make sense in this spot. Fingers crossed it's not here. Follow him on Twitter <laughs> at TopFlightSI. He's Adam Trigger of Wager Talk. Thanks for the time, brother. Appreciate it. Always enjoy your Sunday. Uh, you too, Mark. Take care. All right. Coming up next, uh, NFL futures and one bet I really love. That's right here on Point Spread Sunday on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. This is Point Spread Sunday on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. The VSEN Spring Special is here for only $59. You get everything VSEN has to offer from now through the end of July. The next few months are going to be filled with the best betting content in the business right here at VSEN.com. Subscribers will have access to all of it, including Adam Burke's Daily. MLB best bets. Jonathan Von Tobel will have the best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Andy McNeil will break down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll have lots of NFL preseason coverage as well, not to mention continued best bets and premium articles covering golf, UFC, Uf USFL, NASCAR, and, of course, horse racing. If you'd want the full VEASAN experience, which features a daily best bets email, every edition of Point Spread Weekly as 
uh, is included. Use our betting tools and live video stream wherever you want. The cost is only $59 to be a subscriber through July 31st. Again, $59 through July 31st. Sign up now at vcin.com slash spring. Welcome into Point Spread Sunday here on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. I'm Mark Zeno. Thank you for spending Sunday morning with me. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Coming up right at the top of the hour, I'll give you my full slate of Major League Baseball plays. Also next hour, Josh Ingles of um, Josh Ingles will join us to discuss more Major League Baseball of covers. Thank you. Um, had, a, had a brain fart there, but uh, more Major League Baseball from our next guest, Josh Ingles, at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. And, of course, I'll have all my bets for by the end of the show, so stay with us all the way through 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific. All right, uh, let's look at some NFL futures here. Uh, and next hour, we'll look at some of the Rookie of the Year props and, and what's out there if you're interested. But uh, there is one play that I really, really am excited about, uh, and I love the number. I expected it to be a lot lower but it's something I absolutely could take a flyer on. I'm going to start a little bit out of order here and go with the most receiving yards in the NFL next year, because this is one of my favorite bets Uh, at the top of the list for most receiving yards is Cooper cup um, of the Los Angeles Rams. He led that led the league in that category last year. Obviously it was a huge target uh, and was able to put up numbers game in and game out. No reason. He's not going to be the favorite. Justin Jefferson comes in at number two at plus 800. Uh, as he and the Minnesota Vikings. And again, I was kind of a little bit surprised. Thought he would have had a better year. Tailed off at the end uh, of the regular season a little bit last year as Minnesota sort of got themselves eliminated from postseason play. Travis Kelsey comes in at 12 to 1. Uh, he did lead the league in receiving a couple of years ago. I wouldn't waste my money here again. Um, Kansas City spreads the, ball, spreads the ball around a ton with Tyreek Hill gone. Uh, let's see how they react. Let's see how that offense reacts. And what they do, that may be the only reason why Kelsey is back in this conversation again as a tight end, because typically tight ends don't lead the league in receiving. Um, They're just not targeted enough, although Kelsey is as much of a wide receiver as anybody is in this league. But still, and and we know that Andy Reid finds incredible ways to use him. So I think it's also a viable possibility. I just wouldn't put my money there, given Kansas City's history. But where I would put my money is on another 12 to 1 candidate. And that's Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals. I love this number at 12 to 1 for this guy to lead the league at receiving. And you could point to Cooper Cup and other guys. Look, you got to take into account injuries. Um, you know, if they're going to play a full season, uh, there is a, always a little bit of regression from the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, it just happens that way, right? It, and I'm not saying the Rams are going to miss the playoffs or anything like that, but um, this is a, a, a situation where. I don't know that the Rams, you know, go full throttle again. They've still changed a lot of their personnel, remember. And not, not all of this is exactly the same. They're not, like, running it back again. Um, but Jamar Chase should be able to catch a ton of balls this year. Uh, he's going to be the primary target. You know this is an offense now that wants to spread it out and continue to throw the ball. And um, and, and Zach Taylor being a disciple of Sean McVay and how much they want to use the passing game in that offense, I think all of that uh, should help Jamar Chase put up some really gaudy numbers in year two uh, after an outstanding rookie campaign. So um, he, along with Devontae Adams, are 12 to 1, as I mentioned, also Travis Kelsey. But I would put my money on Jamar Chase. Adams is interesting. I think Derek Carr is going to have a great year. I think he's going to have an amazing year. Uh, You guys know I've been telling you I've been back in the Raiders for quite some time now. But you get uh, Stephon Diggs at 14 and run along with Tyreek Hill. If Tyreek Hill leads the league in receiving, something has gone horribly wrong. 
because uh, two is not that good. At least not yet. But we'll see. Debo Samuel at 16-1. CeeDee Lamb at 18-1. Mark Andrews at 20-1. CeeDee Lamb could be interesting. I think there's a health issue there um, as far as either Dak being healthy for all 17 games and CeeDee Lamb being healthy for all 17 games is probably not likely. But, you know, uh, it's interesting. They may be abandoning the run more and more and favoring the pass. And now with Amari Cooper out of Dallas, uh, it is a situation where he's the main guy. There's no reason to look anywhere else. So uh, that may change things a little bit for, for his numbers as far as production is concerned. All right, let's go to most passing yards now in the NFL. Tom Brady, the favorite at plus 700. Justin Herbert, also the co-favorite at plus 700. Mahomes comes in at 9-1 to along with Stafford and Joe Burrow at 9-1. to uh, Josh Allen, Derek Carr, 10-1. to You get Dak Prescott and 12-1. to Aaron Rodgers, 14-1. to And Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, and Deshaun Watson all at 18-1. Um, I'm not sure why Aaron Rodgers is so low uh, of a number. Is, is it because he lost Devontae Adams? Maybe, uh, probably. But does that mean the Packers are going to stop throwing the ball? I, I, I don't think they are. Um, that seems like a very favorable number for Aaron Rodgers. Um, and again, it's not like he needs the best of the best to be able to chuck the ball for 300 yards a game. They'll find a way to do it. I don't think they're concerned with it at all. So uh, I think you're getting great money there. Uh, again, Joe Burrow, if I'm back at Jamar Chase as the rookie of the year, part of me can also back Joe Burrow to lead the league in passing yards. But And, and why is Josh Allen 10-1? to 1? Shouldn't he be lower? I, I think he should be. Um, you know, He's got Stephon Diggs, who's going to be a high-volume cash guy. they got weapons all over the offense. They throw to their running backs out of the backfield a ton. Uh, this seems to me like also another number that's probably lower than what it should be. Uh, and and I would have had Allen as a co-favorite or, you know, one of the top two or three favorites here. And I, I keep saying this, but I feel like we're overvaluing Justin Herbert just a little bit. Uh, and, and that's not a knock on him. Again, I think he's great. I think he's super talented. But I haven't seen enough from him yet in the two years to know uh, that I can back him with a wager in my money. Like, it's different whether I know he can play. Of course I know he can play, but do I know that I trust him enough to put money behind him? I think is an entirely different scenario, and it's an entirely different question that you're asking. So um, I, I, I can't get behind Herbert just yet. I can get behind him as a team and a leader and, and winning football games, but when it comes to covering spreads and putting numbers uh, money on him to back certain numbers, I still think it's a little bit tough. I still think I need to see a little bit more from uh, – from Justin Herbert before I start putting my money on him. Uh, most rushing yards, Jonathan Taylor and uh, Jonathan Taylor, the favorite at, at five to one, Derek Henry at plus 550, Dalvin Cook plus 750, Nick Chubb at plus 800, Najee Harris 10 to one, Joe Mixon 12 to one, Javante Williams 14 to one, uh, Antonio Gibson 16 to one, Elijah Mitchell 18 to one, Cam Akers 18 to one, and Damian Harris 20 to one. Damian Harris wouldn't be bad. Uh, I think they're still going to run the ball a ton in New England. If he can stay healthy, uh, he's got a great shot. Um, you know, is Derrick Henry going to be the same? It's tough to figure out. Five to one is not a bad price to back him. Five and a half to one, not a bad price to back him. But I would like to see four or five games of him looking 100% again after the foot injury and after the foot surgery. So... Uh, we didn't get the 100% version of Derrick Henry in the playoff game. That's certainly understandable. But 
you know, uh, to back him now with money is an entirely different deal. And finally, I see again with Justin, uh, Justin Taylor, Jonathan Taylor. Um, I don't know if I put my money on him because of the quarterback now in Indianapolis is Matt Ryan. They they may want to throw a little bit more. Sure, they're still going to run the ball. It's Frank Reich. It's Indianapolis. They're not not going to run. But is Jonathan Taylor going to have 15, 1,600 yards? No, I don't think so. Some of those yardage and some of those plays, the ball will be put in Matt Ryan's hand for him to deal with it. Um, so it's tough to predict that right there. Uh, is Chubb a possibility? Yeah, especially if um, Deshaun Watson is suspended. I think that they will hand him the ball early and often uh, in the season to get him going uh, and keep the offense moving. Uh, whether it's Baker Mayfield backing him up or it's somebody else, they're not going to be as good as Watson. And so uh, it's tough to really figure out how uh, to handicap Cleveland right now because you just don't know how many games Watson's going to be able to play um, and and what he's going to have to sit. So it's going to be hard to figure that out. Again, why I wouldn't back him at all um, to win the passing yards title, despite the fact that he's done it before in Houston. Uh, I can't back him now because I just don't know if he's going to be able to play all 17 games. And if that's the case, can't do it. So uh, those are some NFL futures. We'll get into rookie of the year futures and rookie of the year props uh, coming up or rookie props coming up next hour uh, as well. But coming up next, we will look at the major league baseball slate. I'll give you four plays that I have today in the bigs. I hope you'll stay with us here for hour number two. That's all coming up next here on point spread Sunday. I'm Mark Zinno. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. You're watching and listening to Visa and the Sports Betting Network.